Hi, I'm Chad Emerson, and this is the Downtown Explorer Podcast, the virtual third place where we gather for interesting conversations with downtown innovators and entrepreneurs. Hi, everyone. Chad Emerson, Downtown Huntsville, Inc. We are back here at the worldwide headquarters of DHI for another Downtown Explorer podcast. And we have probably our tallest guest ever, <laughs> Matt Mandrella. Welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. Matt, how tall are you? You're a tall man. I am six foot eight. Six foot eight. All right. So um, has that lend itself to basketball careers or other uh, life experiences? Because I don't know a lot of six, eight people. Um, well, every day uh, you get asked how tall you are and if you play basketball, as um, other tall people that are listening might be aware of. Um Short basketball career, played two years of um, college basketball at Spring Hill College, and then um, had some knee issues, and doctor presented me with the uh, option to have a full knee replacement in my 30s or my 50s, and so I chose the 50s, and he said, time for intramurals. So before we get into actually what brought you to Huntsville, can you still dunk? Oh, I think my I could, but it'd be very painful. Like one of those two-handed hang on the rims or just like a tomahawk type oh, thing? Oh, yeah. The last uh, the last time I dunked, I got really ambitious and kind of proved to myself I could still dunk. And then, uh, oh, yeah, I was hobbled up for a couple weeks. It was not a good scene and kind of realized it's my last dunk. Well, in addition to being a tall human, you are the music officer for the city of Huntsville, the first ever in the history of Huntsville. Uh, tell us, before you got to Huntsville, what were you doing in the music world? How'd you go from Spring Hill to your music career? Oh, um, well, after college, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to pursue, uh, you know, I kind of thought I was going to be the next great singer-songwriter playing guitar, crooning in in, uh, in bars like I did in college at University of South Alabama around the Mobile and Eastern Shore area. Um, and then did that for about two years and then, you know, it was going good, but wasn't really an opportunity to do more than, you know, play cover songs in bars. And I kind of wanted to push more original music. And so moved back to Fairhope, Alabama for about a year to get my songwriting all together. And then I was like, I'm going to move to a music town. I'm going to move to Austin, Texas, and I'm going to make it. And then my uh, first open mic night, I realized there is no chance I'm going to make it as a singer-songwriter because the first guy that got up there was probably the best guitarist and songwriter I've ever seen. And then the guy that got up there after him was even better and so on and so on. And I was like, whoa, I just, not for lack of effort and enthusiasm, but just kind of like realized like, yeah, like I'm just not there. But definitely had a passion for music and so pivoted that to uh, really wanting to jump in behind the scenes and still stay involved with the music industry and so um, worked it out to where I got hired by South by Southwest the okay. uh, music conference in uh, Austin and their special uh, special projects department. Um, so a lot of people think of South by Southwest as like a group of TED Talks but it actually has this origins or at least a strong component in the music right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it is, you know, it kind of grew from a, you know, having a couple panel discussions and just having like a lot of um, artists in Texas and kind of Austin focused playing like throughout the clubs in town to now. I mean, it is a full on technology film music festival that literally takes up the footprint of the entire city. There's not anything really like it. You know, people think of music festivals and they think, you know, there's a fence around a park and 
100,000 people come there and play, and that's just one aspect of South by Southwest to where, you know, the whole footprint of downtown is utilized, the convention centers, all the venues for day parties and evening parties and showcases, hundreds of bands from around the globe, hundreds of stages. I mean, it is... um, it's 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 kind of amazing. You can't really understand it. It's hard to explain it unless you like really see it. When I first saw it, and I was actually working there before I actually got to experience my first one, and it just continues to blow me away. So, in in the history of South by Southwest, what year did you join the team? I was there in uh, I think it was two thousand eight, maybe oh seven. I think oh eight is when the year I was there, and I was only there one year. Okay. Um, in in Austin, you know, south around the country, South by Southwest has an incredible brand for Austonians or Austinians or whatever you pronounce an Austin person, right? Is it a big deal or is it one of those things? It's like we need to get out of Dodge because it's crazy in town during that week. It's definitely a um, somewhat of a love hate relationship. <laughs> um, it's definitely something Austin's proud of. Um, it's just such a large economic driver. I think that um, I'm not sure if it's still the case today, but um, I know pre-COVID, it was the largest economic event in the whole state of Texas, Um, just because the whole world kind of descends upon Austin for those 10 days, and it's just so crowded. All the hotels are booked, Um, you know, and, and with the increase of people coming to Austin to experience it, and there's a lot of long lines and, um, and things that you basically have to like buy expensive tickets to get access into that you don't normally have to there's kind of a a resentment but at the same time there's so many opportunities for locals to participate in these things and just you know everybody that everybody i know that lives there works in some sort of capacity like side jobs or extra jobs or their careers are involved in the industry to where i mean just the, the opportunity to make money as a side gig for those 10 days it's just kind of um it's kind of too hard to pass. I mean, what you would normally get $20 an hour for, you get like $50 an hour for during those 10 days. And I mean, the reality of how their music ecosystem is, is the venues are really dependent on South by Southwest and all the additional revenue it brings in in March to get through the months where, you know, it's not as crowded. Kind of the summer months and the early winter months are in Austin are kind of the slow ones for venues. Yeah, I've read it's almost like some of the venues at the beach. It's like South by Southwest is their summer beach season. Like they get so much of their revenue in that concentrated period of time that the rest of the year is a little bit of gravy. Honestly, that's maybe the best comparison I think I've ever heard. Like that's such a perfect way to put it. Yeah. So um, a lot of cities, a lot of downtowns say, you know, we, we need a South by Southwest. But realistically, didn't South by Southwest come from pretty humble origins? It seems like it started off as a really, really small. It didn't from day one. It wasn't what we know now. Right. Oh, yeah. And my, and my buddy actually posted a uh, South by Southwest event poster from 1989 uh, leading up to this year's. And it was like twenty five dollars, 200 bands on at 30 clubs and you know, just bands and a lot of like underground kind of like, uh, you know, nothing that was mainstream. And it used to just be a, uh, you know, $25 ticket to go like get access for the whole week. And it's a, um, they were really smart by, it's a festival created within current infrastructure. You know, they basically utilized the ecosystem that was there um, and just program bands and venues that already had PAs and walls and security and staff to where, you know, it's a lot more expensive to build fences and set up things in the middle of a park, but that's kind of where uh, 
they were great in the original efforts that it kind of grew from there is just utilize the the walls and structure you have and it's helpful being that Austin's a place that has like so many venues within walking distance as well and yeah it just grew from very humble beginnings to now I mean it's like you've had presidents and world leaders and everything like give keynote speeches it's kind of a and Huntsville was there this year we were there this Talking year about landing spaces or ships from space i uh, i went to the uh, microgravity panel that our chamber was involved with putting on and uh, i definitely came away smarter Man, so <laughs> we are a smart place <laughs> we are so um one of the things that uh you know i like to do a strategy is i think it's take someone's great idea borrow it and kind of turn it on your um, own little access and so for Women in Music Weekend here in Huntsville, I know you recently met with Allie Johnson, who's uh, helping produce the event this year. Who's amazing, by the way. Yeah, well, we'll talk about um, some of the musicians and others you met, but it, the concept there was take existing venues, existing musicians, and sync them up, and rather than have brand new venues where you got to pay for all this kind of stuff. you know, Do you think that model is unique to South by Southwest, or could an event like Women in Music Weekend grow into something special using that model? I think that, um, you know, there's been other music conferences that kind of, I mean, with any event that has a success of South by is, of course, you're going to have people that kind of look at that model and try to duplicate it. Um, and there's a ton of music conferences, both in the U S and around the world. And can't tell you which ones were before, which ones were after South by, I'm sure there's a nice mix of both, but, um, it's definitely not a noble concept today by any means, just so, you know, have a citywide kind of like venue based music conference or festival. Um, and yeah, I definitely think something like Women in Weekend, you know, I, I'm a big fan and, and my favorite events to patronize personally and to facilitate are ones that like, you know, start organically. I think there's something really to uh, creating something in the art space or the music space organically and seeing where it grows. It's just music's not something you can really force upon people. There's plenty of plenty of bands that I've seen that have a lot of um, a lot of funding and have like a lot of resources that most don't have starting out and you know at the end of the day like the music they create doesn't resonate with a large audience and they don't make it and then there's artists that literally start with nothing and they're some of the biggest names in the world and we're excited this year we'll, we'll talk about this more down the road as we get closer but you were very kind to invite women in music weekend to serve as one of the tent pole events for what initiative are you trying to bring to life in the Rocket City? So we would like to begin a Huntsville Music Month. Um, September is kind of like the uh, the dates we've targeted. Um, we still have a lot to kind of get together in terms of, you know, what the um, identity of that month is going to be. But in a nutshell, it's just going to be showcasing all things that make Huntsville's music scene awesome, big and small. And, uh, yeah, and we'll be kind of announcing more official things about that um this may be kind of like a sneak preview and you know i don't know if i'm scooping us but guess what you are, you, <laughs> we you, are you are scooping us so um well, in case people yeah. are just wondering when women in music weekend will be this year it won't be in october it'll be in september it'll be in september so well you know we, we kind of really jumped into the conversation it's a great conversation um before we talk about the music officer position, where did the Matt Mandrella World Tour go after South by Southwest in Austin between there and Huntsville? Ah, okay. So South by ended and it was a seasonal position. So I was like, what am I going to do? 
Um, and then all of a sudden got a call kind of out of nowhere from a, um, a guy named Doug who bought a restaurant in downtown 6th Street. And uh, there was a venue called The Parish, which was arguably the most prestigious 400, 450 capacity size venue downtown, kind of known in Austin for having the best sound in town. It was on the second floor, wood floors. It just, uh, it sounded in Austin. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it sounded amazing. And he's like, Hey, I heard you're good with music things. I have a restaurant. There's a venue upstairs. Here's the keys. Would you like to run it? And I was like, absolutely. And so that was kind of my first full-time job into the music industry. And it was a venue that was, uh, (laughs) not financially doing well under previous ownership, but you know, we righted the ship in about, you know, four to five months and started turning a small profit. And, uh, yeah, and it just kind of like worked out from there. And from there, I, um, you know, just met other promoters and other event producers, other people that ran venues in town. Um, this uh, amazing festival had kind of just started called Fun, Fun, Fun Fest. It was in its uh, second or about going on its third year, and they were looking for some help. And so um, I was friendly with those guys and came on as their kind of seasonal um vendor coordinator like I kind of helped doing all the uh, food vendors and retail vendors and just kind of helping with some marketing stuff all in general Uh, and I was doing that kind of like as a you know part-time thing while I focused on running the venue and then you know fun fun um, just organically got two funds or three funds three funds fun fun not fun. after the Beach Boys song after a okay. Big Boy song which fun, is a fun, fun, fun time story yeah exactly okay. F3 Fest uh, <laughs> and then uh, you know that festival was in a point to where it's like you know they were um, they were wanting to grow and they needed full time help and so they offered me to come on board as the uh, um, full-time marketing director for uh, the company, which was called Transmission Events. Aside from Fun 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 Fest, they also um, programmed and booked about four or five venues kind of like throughout downtown Austin and then a lot of others throughout the state of Texas. Uh, there was one year, I actually think we were the largest in- independent promoter in Texas in terms of the volume of shows we created. Um, and so, yeah, just jumped into uh, Fun 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 full-time and uh, ended up growing that festival from a two-day, 2,500-person per day. Well, actually, first day, first year was a one-day, 1,000-person event. And then um, I was there for about, ooh, I think, somewhere between around four years, I think I was there. And then uh, the year I left, we were at three days and about 15,000 people per day. Um, and we moved it from Waterloo Park, which is a kind of like small, no-name park at the edge of the uh, downtown footprint into auditorium shores which is kind of like the big primo park down there with like the running trails where the city's the skyline in the background and so um yeah it was just really magical seeing how that festival grew and then um had a big decision i got approached by a company called do stuff media to kind of um take the helm of the business efforts behind their 2512 um property which is the largest online events calendar in austin and it's also an agency that you know on the face, it's a awesome, fun events calendar, but um, behind the scenes, too, there's a lot of brand activations and producing events and things like that on the side. And so I uh, got an offer. It was a you know, very uh, tough decision, but ended up going that way and worked out really awesome. Stayed there for about five years and helped grow that company to, uh, to uh, the highest potential it could reach while I was there. And then um, fast forward about five years of being there, and then I... Uh, branched off and kind of started my own agency because I was ready to kind of, you know, I can do this. I want to do it all on my own and uh, did 
did that for about a year and came across the new CMO at Graceland. And, uh, CMO, Chief Marketing, Chief Marketing Officer. At Graceland. Who is amazing. Her name is Debbie Miller. She is a uh, Hollywood movie industry vet. And uh, I got connected uh, to her via a friend who was like, hey, my friend is taking over at Graceland. She's awesome. If anybody's interested in working with them, let me connect you. And I said, I'm interested in working with them. And initially approached it as a like, hey, let me do stuff from you for my agency. Um, but we hit it off like so well to where, you know, long story short, it ended up with a job offer. And I was like, I think this is worth at least taking a plunge and moving to Memphis for a year. And worst case scenario, it doesn't work out, but moved to Memphis. It worked out really well. And so for three years there, um, Graceland. Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. So, um, What's the weirdest thing you ever see you ever saw happen at Graceland? Because I know it is a quirky place. Ooh. Um the weirdest thing I've ever seen at Graceland. Probably the the sheer number and this is a more than one time, the sheer number of people that just kind of like show up out of the blue and wanna have meetings with the uh with the CEO because they are air quotes members of the Presley family. Oh, or they're like Elvis's child. There's a lot of people who are convinced that um, they are Elvis Presley's children. <laughs> and that may very well be true. Maybe. But, yeah, um, I mean. You know, definitely don't have the documentation to merit getting a uh, meeting with the CEO most times. So. so at Graceland, you think about going around and seeing the Corvette or the whatever the car is. All like, but you actually did music events there, right? Yeah. So my primary focus at Graceland was... Um, you know, the, uh, the the owner's kind of position was, you know, like Elvis is an established brand, but, you know, to keep, to, to entice like new and younger visitors to come, like we need to turn Graceland into a pop culture center. And so he invested a lot of um, capital into across the street from the actual mansion. And, you know, it's over 400,000 square feet of exhibit space and venue space to where that's dedicated to Elvis museums, but then a lot of it is for non-Elvis related things. So they have everything like currently, I think they have the Van Gogh traveling immerse exhibit in some of those spaces. Um, and then part of that was also a 2300 capacity soundstage venue and a 450 capacity uh, stadium style theater that's in the hotel. That's also a part of that footprint. There's I have a- seen it and Graceland is much more than just the mansion now, right? It's a pretty unique... Oh, it is. Yeah, it's... I mean, you can spend a week there. What's your favorite Elvis song? Ooh, my favorite Elvis song? Uh, Suspicious Minds. That's a good one. Yeah. I think Roy Orbison did a cover on that. That was pretty fantastic, too. And uh, Dwight Yoakam, who was actually just uh, here at the uh, BBC. Okay. So, um, we've talked a lot about other places. Let's talk about here. All right. Um, You are, as we mentioned, the inaugural... Uh, first ever music officer for the city of Huntsville, which is actually a city of Huntsville position. It is not like a, a, a partner um, nonprofit like DHI is. What is a music officer and what does a music officer do? Great question. So um, basically my role is to serve as the um, primary advocate of our growing music sector and to grow that music sector to kind of like come up with initiatives and strategies to, uh, you know, help the economic development of that sector grow. Um, 
you know, whether that means more big venues, small venues, um, more recording studios, just basically like, let's do what we can do to create, at the end of the day, it's, you know, let's do what we can do to create more music industry jobs here in Huntsville and to just make our music scene more awesome. I mean, at the end of the day, if you have an awesome music scene, it's going to create jobs, kind of like if you have a awesome downtown, you're going to have restaurants come in and just make the quality of life more. So is it like music as an economic development tool to some degree? Exactly. I mean, that's that's kind of exactly what it is. Um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the city funded a study that uh, got completed kind of like right before COVID that um, basically provided data to show that, you know, music is a quality of life issue that should be treated similarly to how like a parks and rec department should be. You know, it's an economic driver, not just for music industry jobs, but for other businesses in town to attract employees. You know, like a lot of people like music and going to shows and, you know, you're more likely to work at a, a company in a city that has those things if you have the same offer for a different company doing the same thing in another city. Um, and so that's kind of like the overall arching theory of it. Um, there's other off, there's other cities that have, um, that have music offices in similar positions, but they've all kind of been creative reactively. There's been kind of like a thriving music scene already in place that just kind of needs a little help protecting where this is really, um, this is kind of awesome to where it's a, a, there's no like shoes to fill. So it takes a little pressure off that way. But B it's like, I mean, we're Huntsville is doing this proactively is like a, like, Hey, we're creating this office to grow our music sector. And, um, just the, uh, the, the challenges that come with that are just really exciting. And, um, you know, just to know that the city's behind it with, uh, with their resources and enthusiasm and just, you know, in my brief time here, just the enthusiasm of the community, both, uh, musically inclined and from the fan side it's just um it's great when you saw the job posted i don't know where is it posted is like on a website or is there a where how'd you let me ask this how'd you find out about the job and when you found out about it what was appealing about the job so i saw a friend share it on either facebook or instagram one of those channels and i just went and clicked on it um and I heard about the amphitheater. Um, I remember like seeing. I remember seeing like the initial kind of like announcement. I don't know if it was the announcement or kind of like the the plan for the amphitheater. But I remember like seeing the Huntsville amphitheater before it was the Orion on socials, and just thinking like, oh wow, this looks awesome. There's no way this can be really happening in Huntsville, right? And. Uh, Turns out I was wrong, but because uh, it was almost like too. That feels about a little bit of a backhanded compliment, Matt Mendel. And I guess I should preface it too by the last time I'd been to Huntsville uh, before my interview process was about twenty years ago. Oh, it was a different place. Then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> my my takeaway from the, the Huntsville I knew before I interviewed was it was a buddy's wedding about twenty years ago, and wedding ended about like six thirty or seven, and we all went downtown to go find something to do and there was nothing to do so he's just like there were ducks little, to be fed and that's was, about it right? i mean i it, literally the takeaway was like there's nothing to do in huntsville let's go back to the hotel and then get back to mobile as as fast as we can and uh was just really shocked when we came for the uh when we came for the first interview just to see like wow this is just not the place I remember it's thriving. It's awesome. It is just the people are great and enthusiastic. I mean, it's uh, it's night and day from what I remembered. So I guess I should preface my thoughts on the amphitheater by like that first. You know, no, like, I was I was just joking with you. I mean, that's I mean, I think that's one of the cool things about the music audit and all the effort put into it is that there's been 
um, a great music scene here for a long time, but maybe it wasn't all the pieces put together. And it sounds like that's part of your job is to help make connections. Is that right? hundred percent. Yeah. Basically growing our, um, kind of the popular word across a lot of industries right now is ecosystem, you know, scene, ecosystem, community, um, whatever name you want to put on it, industry. Uh, yeah, just basically like Filling in the gaps, you know, Huntsville's always had a, from what I understand and have learned now, like there's a, always have been and like still is like an abundance of um, really great talent um, on the local level. And then, you know, North Alabama has like roots and um, regionally, like both historically and today of just producing like really, really great acts that, uh, that, that are known like, you know, both in Alabama and around the world. Um, but there just needs to be connections with that and then you know other opportunities like there hasn't been a um you know like a large venue of like the amphitheater size the house like acts that can accommodate you know eight thousand seats or more um there was never a mars music hall until recently that could accommodate like those kind of acts and so you know with, with the with the notion that you know a rising tide lifts all boats you know the more the more national acts you have, it's it's better for the local scene. The better local scene you have attracts more national acts, and it all kind of comes together. Um, so I like that word ecosystem. In fact, I wrote it literally right here. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I think we're on the same wavelength. But with the ecosystem, that implies that in addition to the great musicians, there's also great sound engineers like this gentleman to our left. Um, there's great venues. I mean, the ecosystem... Um, it seems like it might be more expansive than exclusive to the performers. Is that? Fair? Oh, it's, it's the, the performers are only a, they're, they're a very significant part, but they, you know, it's, it's a very small part. When you think of the, you know, just when you start for the like ticket purchasing process, like starts from the fans, fan purchase a ticket, there's the ticketing platform. Um, and then when you go to a show, there are the like, people that check you into the door there's the security there's the sound personnel the bartenders you know if it's a uh, some venues have wait staff it's um parking attendants i mean it you know there are you know promotions departments like local media like photographers like it's very very expansive you know catering staffs bus drivers i mean it's the you know there's usually like no more than like a five person band's a big band and so that's only five people they go into, you know, just doing a show on a small level takes so many more people and so much more legwork and energy than I think a lot of people who aren't in the industry kind of realize. But when you kind of like lay it out on paper and see like the steps, I mean, it's, uh, it's expansive. I'll tell you, this has been a great conversation. We're already 26 minutes in and oh, we, wow. we don't go that long. So we're going to need to wrap it up here before we get to your favorite five. Um, we'll definitely have you back, especially as we get closer to Huntsville Music Month. Uh, last question I have. Before the favorite five is, you know, when DHI got started, I was the first ever CEO. And I remember the very first day I go in the office, like, where do I get started? You know, as the first music officer, how do you prioritize? Because it seems like there can be a thousand different things to do in a single day. How does Matt Mandrella say, OK, I need to really focus on short term, midterm mix of things? Uh, definitely a mix of things. Um, you know, and I will say that the music audit definitely provides a nice roadmap for um, helping prioritize things that are, you know, things that can be, uh, you know, year one, year two initiatives versus, you know, things way down the line. Um, but, you know, year one, it's, you know, but then at the same time, like COVID kind of like sidetracked a lot of things too, to where it's, you know, um, 
where it's like, here's the music audit, here's a lot of enthusiasm, and then everything shuts down for a year. And so, um, you know, so I think the, you know, the big thing, at least for me, is just, you know, get out in the community, meet as many people who have uh, feedback and ideas about Huntsville music and like the direction it's been previously and in the future and just kind of collecting all that to, uh, you know, to start really kind of putting like a plan and solid ideas together. Um, and we have some initiatives like in year one, but at the same time, you know, the, uh, the way that municipalities work is that, you know, you have to, you know, and with this being a, a planning economic development position, um, you have to like really get organized and, and, and plan out your budgets for initiatives, you know, in years to come. So that, that, that's a big part of like year one is just, um, you know, generating enthusiasm, like seeing what we can all do together on an organic level. And then, um, from there kind of like, uh, you know, seeing where it goes and making it awesome and bigger and bigger every year. Well, I've been super impressed because it seems like you've taken a strategy of really listen first and really learn about the community. And I think that's, um, it, that's a really key thing to do. So kudos to you on that. Well, thanks. If people want to find out more about the Huntsville Music Office on social media or the music audit, uh, guide them where to find that. So we are... Um actually in the process of making like you know of making like a uh, a more comprehensive um better website um currently right now the probably the best place uh, the the best and easiest url to direct people to would be huntsvillemusic.org that's the uh, website that our um music board put together um and that's got links to where you can find uh, um you know information about the audit and things like that um or if you just search you know music on HuntsvilleAl.gov, uh, you should be able to find, you know, info so you want to the peruse the music and audit and, and if someone wants to uh, connect with you are, are you, are you on social? Is your office on social or what's the best way? We, uh, there is a Huntsville Music Board Facebook page right now. Okay. Um, or, you know, you're more than welcome to, to email me at any time. It's M-A-T-T dot M-A-N-D-R-E-L-L-A at HuntsvilleAL.gov. Matt Mandrella, Matt.Mandrella Matt at HuntsvilleAL.gov. Matt, um, great work. I'm so excited to see what all of your efforts come to. But before we see that, we're going to start with your favorite five. All right. Are you ready for your favorite five? I think so. These are five questions where we try to get to know the personality behind the person. Designed to be one-word answers. You can answer however you want, but hopefully... You'll play by the rules. All right. Matt Mandrell's favorite five. Number one, music festival you could go to tomorrow, Bonnaroo or Hangout? Oh, Hangout. Better music scene, L.A. or Nashville? Nashville. Guns N' Roses or Nirvana? Nirvana. A Gibson guitar or a Fender? Gibson. And last but not least, he's, he's really blowing through these, Tim. I need to see if I can swerve him a little bit here. We always try to make one hard to answer. Um, your final concert you can go to on this mortal plane, the Hollywood Bowl or Red Rocks? Uh, Red Rocks. Let's go Red a little Rocks. Bit of a yeah. Yeah. How about the Orion Amphitheater? Ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> if I would have if I would have wrote that against anything, I would have maybe got you in trouble. <laughs> well, Matt Mandrella, welcome to Huntsville. Oh, thank you. It's been it's, fun uh, to get to meet you, and uh, hopefully, we'll have you back on as we get closer to the nascent and uh, first ever Huntsville Music Month. Yeah, thanks so much, and uh, 
can't wait to come back and two months in and getting better and better every day. All right, everyone. That is Matt Mandrella, Huntsville's first ever music officer, uh, doing a great job really connecting the music community in the Rocket City and all around. That's it for the pod. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next time on the Downtown Huntsville Explorer Podcast.